Hi, folks, and welcome to the Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Geis. Now, today on the program, we have Moritz Espy. Moritz is the ranch manager at the 777 Bison Ranch, and you're on the program today to discuss the nuances of a bison operation. Thank you kindly for taking the time to stop by and speak with us. You bet. Pleasure. Uh, we like spreading the word about bison and, and bison meat and regenerative agriculture. That's what we're all about. So glad to be here. Well, that's very interesting. I mean, how did we get started in the bison business at the 777 Ranch? Well, the uh, Hillenbrand family bought it in the early 70s. They bought some bison in the early 80s on a whim, saw some advantages of the bison, and it just kind of fit the family mission of native grasslands and native species. So they converted from bison to cattle and uh, never looked back. And in my opinion, bison are addictive. They just have a feel to them that are, that's different than beef cows. There is no doubt about that. I mean, they're not just a, a shaggy cow by any way, shape, or form. No, they've, they've got, you know, they're so similar in so many ways, but yet they're so different. Just the subtle difference in the location of the eyes on their head affecting their flexion point when you're applying pressure during handling is way different, but they're just a fun, interesting animal. Maybe let's go a little bit into the handling because obviously bison, there's a little bit higher level of capability for things to go wrong if you're not careful. So when we talk about handling them, you know, what do you do as far as handling and what equipment do you use and things of that nature? We follow low-stress handling techniques, Bud Williams, Temple Grandin, those types, just good animal handling skills, being quiet, using pressure in the right ways, making animals go up and then come back and choosing the way they do. Most people assume in in bison that you got to have a 12-foot fence and a fortress. That's the case in some places, but most of the time, the better animal handling skills that a person has the lighter your corrals can be. But, you know, we do still have steel corrals built out of pipe, but it's more for reduced maintenance and aesthetics and, and longevity. But we use a lead-up alley and a bud box and a hydraulic chute just like every cattle operation does. Do you use a crash gauge on your hydraulic chute? We do have a crash gate. And, and maybe for the listening audience, if they haven't heard of a crash gate before, could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, a crash gate is on a chute, you're using a head catch. And so everybody's used to polled animals nowadays. But we do have horned bison. And so an automatic head gate with horns is a little tough so it allows them to stick their head all the way through the chute and then catch them by the neck and crash gate is kind of a term that they crash into it but we don't want them to crash into it just like on the cattle side you got an animal in the chute on a slippery surface can cause some injury but it's just an extension of the chute that allows the animal to stick their head through the chute to be safely captured by the the head catch and then it swings out of the way and then it operates just like a a normal squeeze chute. So what about things like the waterers and the feeders and maybe even some of the handling medical equipment? Are those any different than what you'd use for cattle? The neck stretchers on the chute are a little bit different. They push them straight out instead of to the side, like on a silencer. Uh, 
The waters, we use a variety of, of storage drinkers and like a Richie fountain. You need to have some reinforcement because there's a lot of rubbing and scratching and just it's the scratching that they tear everything up with. So mm-hmm. like around our Richie waters, there's a two inch a square tubing cage around it to so they rub on the square tubing instead of the Richie and then pulling on the anchor bolts. That extends the life of your fountain, I assume. Right. And then as far as vaccine or medical equipment, you just use the same needles, like a three-quarter inch. We'd use a little bit heavier gauge needle than you would on on cattle. Instead of like the 18s or the 16s, you'd probably use a 16 to a 14. Yeah, 16 to a 14. Yeah. Like a horse needle just bend. But, you know, that's pretty easy to work around, but we use all the same stuff. We ultrasound our animals just like you do beef. We can get the the sex of the embryo and calving date just like everybody else. And there is no vaccine approved for bison, but we do off-label use some some vaccines, you know, like mm-hmm. seven ways, pyramids, your multimins, your Dectamax injectables, your Cydectin injectables, things like that. You can all use on bison and have really good luck. So good management in cattle, a good vet protocol, working with a good vet is just as important in the bison industry as it is in the cattle or sheep business. It sure sounds like that you've learned a lot of different things since this venture has been launched. Some of the things that maybe were the most challenging uh, that you've had to face, what would those be? Just uh, working with the animal instead of against them because they've still got that wild instinct of, of getting away from you, running, sprinting away from danger. They're more prone to balling up under pressure if they're overcrowded to cause injuries and, and things like that. So retraining yourself to low stress handling techniques and working with them and not against them because the mistakes you can make with cattle might bump a fence. But if you make the same mistake with a bison may lead to an injury or breaking the fence, <laughs> the margin of error is a little bigger. It's so interesting to hear you say that. I know Tom Nofsinger, I saw a video of him once of working bison like that. And it actually is pretty crazy with what we often think is required for bison and what a person can get away with as long as they know what they're doing. And, you know, like I tell people, if you've got, we all know somebody who's a top hand who just has that knack with livestock, whether it be any kind of animal, dogs, horses, cattle, sheep, somebody that's good at handling animals. It just transfers over and it can be learned. But if you can work cattle very well, you can you can work bison very well. If you can't work cows, you can't work bison. So so if you're not a very good hand, then you just probably shouldn't try. So you know, when you talk about the business, obviously you have to have customers. So who are the main customers that you have for bison meat? Well, you know, in, in ag, we always say our customer's the end consumer, but you know, it's not us selling the meat to the consumer. So our consumers here at Triple Seven Ranch is direct marketing meat sale websites like thehonestbison.com, other great range natural meats, Western Bison and Rapid City. We sell live animals. We're 100% grass-fed, so we're grass-fed certified, and we've got several other certifications. So we market our animals that way directly to facilities or meat marketers. And then we sell live animals that go on to weaned calves that go on to a feedlot, yearlings that go to a different grass operation or onto a feedlot, bread and replacement heifers, 
open purulent heifers that are going into a replacement herd and breed bulls. So we've got several different customers. We sell hunts. Customers range from one person to to big operations to to small local businesses like Western Buffalo and Rapid City. Sure. So there's a lot of different entities and you're wearing a lot of different hats when you're working with your quote customer. Yeah. And we're just like everybody else. We want a good quality product to end up in the consumer's plate. We are aware of that, but we're not the ones marketing direct consumers, but we do have some good partnerships and and long working relationships with several processors and direct consumer marketers. So like our animals are being served at uh, probably Waldrug and Mount Rushmore and everywhere else on the large commercial side. And then, you know, we have some certified animals that are direct marketed over the internet from coast to coast for home delivery right to your door. So nowadays in ag, you got to be aware and, and try to capture a premium wherever you can. And it seems like you've got to put forth the effort and get those certifications and go that little extra mile. So with all of these different things that are going on, as you say, trying to find that premium so that you can stay ahead in agriculture, where do you see the future of the bison industry going? The largest demographic growing in bison right now is older folks, semi-retired people, 45 and older, who are one generation or less removed from agriculture. So somebody that uh, left the farm, worked professionally, and they're over 45 years old, and now they're moving back to where they grew up or inheriting the family farm. And they don't want to be stuck in traditional agriculture, so they're going just a hair to the side and, and choosing bison. And then the other side of it is we've got a lot of young professionals that are working remotely that are buying small acreages and using 10, 12 head animals on their small acreages and then they're direct marketing their meat sales. So we got both sides of the spectrum. I think you're, you're going to see a good future because, you know, even if you're 50 years old, you can live to 75, which is 25 years in the business. And then if you're in your late 20s and you have a small acreage and, and you're selling 10 animals a year to a circle of friends or a small farmer's market, it's endless. So are a lot of those folks at the small acreages, are they just buying wean calves and finishing them or are they actually getting into the breeding aspect as well? Most of them are are starting with a few head of cows and then keeping the offspring until slaughter weight. They don't really want to get in the game of buying it. They seem to love their animals and raise them that way. That homesteading kick, I think it's from birth to plate, is really strong in that group. And then, you know, you got to remember that the average bison herd in the United States, I think, is 12 if you take out Ted Turner's herd. And then if you use the average of Ted Turner's, I think it goes to like 16 or 18. So, you know, the average goes up to 18 if you factor in Ted Turner. So, you know, there's a lot of small producers selling halves, holes, select cuts. I think the future's strong because that's where everybody seems to be going. Everybody, you know, with the pandemic, online orders have spiked, knowing where your food comes from. People were kind of educated of things that went on with pandemic, and now they want to know who raised it and, and where it come from and develop that relationship. Because, you know, I'd much rather say, yeah, I get all of my meat from Moritz, and he's a great guy. We went out and we looked at the buffalo one day and seemed like a great operation, and that's where we get our meat from. 
compared to going to the store. That food dollar, I think, that they vote with is going to change. And 2019 and 2020 kind of accelerated that. So when you're talking about that actual product then that people are buying, the meat itself, it's not exactly the same as beef, but it's extremely similar. How do you work with people so that they know how to prepare that so that they get the best eating experience they can? It's a leaner protein, so you cook it a little bit lower, a little bit slower. It does have some different flavor notes, but you got to remember that we're used to a consistent product from the store that's fed the same ration killed at the same time so you're going to get you know animals taste different from operation to operation so find somebody that gives you a good product and that you like and if you prefer that flavor run with it i'm a, I'm a little biased but you know everybody that visits my home they can't tell the difference whether it's beef or bison and a lot of that gaminess that has came along with the bison business comes from somebody that went and shot a trophy bull that was 15 years old and <laughs> it was 70 yeah. degrees and it was dragging. And that's where we've got to pay attention. You know, that last 30 seconds of its life, view it with respect, keep it from being excited, take its life, get it in the cooler, get it cleaned. You'll have a good product. It's very interesting you talking about that because that sounds a whole lot like what I run into with people when we talk about eating pronghorn where it really just depends on how you hunt that animal and how that animal goes down to how the eating experience turns out. Oh, yeah. And it's very important. I mean, especially with antelope and bison, because you got to remember, they're not domesticated. So we've been raising cattle for 10,000 years. We've only been commercially raising bison, maybe 100 not quite 100, maybe less than 50. So the stress reactors that they're doing, so like you load them on a truck and you haul them to town, unload them, and then run them into a slaughter facility, that's pretty stressful for a bison. If if you've got some untrained individuals or a rookie truck driver who ram jams and gets everything bruised up and, you know, stirred up, well, that animal's going to be the adrenaline pumping through that animal and just the stress factor compared to a, a dairy cow who's been moved around every day of their life. Mm. There's there's different things going on there, but the bison industry, there's room for everybody. There's field harvest people, there's harvest your own, there's small plant guys, there's I mean, there's room for everybody in the bison business. And you can put your own take on anything in the bison industry because we're so small that people forget about us you know everybody's like oh bison you're not going to take over beef and bison really can't even be a threat to beef because if you think about you know the the animals killed under inspection in the united states is i think it's at like 35 maybe forty thousand. so you you think of how many beef cattle are killed in a day I think that'd be what three quarters of a day in the beef industry oh probably i mean like the dakota city plant uh the tyson plant does six thousand head a day and that's just one right that's just one so maybe not even a half a day so a whole year's production of bison isn't anywhere close to a, a half a day in the beef industry but that also gives you room to grow and bison follows meat and and we all know the recent pressures and and problems in the market with beef, but bison kind of have this little halo. People assume that, you know, it's rarer, it's a novelty, it's a a little more special. So 
they lean towards it. But here of late, you know, you can't keep uh, the Asabucos and the oxtails in stock because a couple of doctors have told cancer patients that they need to eat it. So you, you see, you see, there's a market for everything, and and I think there's going to be more and more of these boutique butchers and things like that that start carrying select cuts of bison, which which will allow us to grow, and we don't have to grow by much. We can't even if there was an order for Burger King to have a quarter pound bison burger on the menu, there isn't even enough bison in North America to fill that order. There's there's room for growth, but. Not too much growth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, this is a very interesting conversation, Moritz, and I really thank you for taking the time to stop by the podcast and enlighten us a little bit more on the bison industry. You bet. More than happy to. So, and thanks for having us on. And I I, kind of want to do a selfless plug, but if you have any other questions to bison, just look us up at 777bison. 777bison.com, is that the address? or? Yep, 777bison.com. We're on Facebook and on we have a website and we're on Instagram and things like that. So, and if you have a question, just I'll get you to somebody in the National Bison Association to answer any questions that you need. Perfect. And thank you very much for that information. And thank you very much for taking the time to listen to our podcast, folks. Y'all take care, folks. Mm-hmm.